Let's, uh, let's pray, and uh, we'll jump into our time. Father, we thank you for uh, the fact that we can surrender to you. You, you. you tell us that your yoke is easy, and that your burden is light, and so you are the type of master and Lord that when we surrender ourselves to you, we get benefit in return. We get a life of the Spirit and walking with you. We get eternal life. And so, God, we've been surrendering ourselves to things this week that have not worked to our benefit. God, let us refocus back on you and surrender everything to you, our hearts, our minds, our will. And then, God, we pray that you would just speak to us during this time. We pray that we would know at the end of this time that it is you that has spoken. We ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank everybody that uh, prayed for me while I was away on sabbatical. I was away for about five weeks, so it was a really good time. I appreciate your prayers, and uh, for those of, those, those of you that didn't pray, I rebuke you. <laughs> uh, while I was away, I um, obviously a lot of things happened in the news. Um, in particular, uh, one of the things that has happened is... Uh, uh, gay marriage was put out as a, uh, uh, it is now sanctioned in all 50 states. And so I know that some of you have waited to see how we would respond to that. And so we want to be able to say something about it in response today. Uh, one of the first things I think we ought to make clear as a church is that we're always very careful about making statements based upon the media. Um, we, we don't want to have to make a statement every time something is happening on TV. Um, the nature of the media now is that it's always looking to create a crisis and for people to have to respond to that crisis. And it's not that these issues that they bring about aren't serious. Um, whether it's us talking about Ebola or ISIS or an ice bucket challenge or bringing our girls back, all those things are incredibly important. But I think one of the things that has happened is, um, even though those issues are serious, social media has created in people this illusion of, of activism, as if putting out a tweet is actually doing something. Um, activism is when you care about a subject and you take initiative on it. And so that's why, even at our church, we have a young lady, Yvonne Asana, who is actually working to make sure that we are a people that are trying to be about justice in this community. That's why we did, an, uh, 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 we did an activity called The Art of Freedom, because we wanted to be about sex trafficking and being about understanding the deep implications of it. So it's not enough just to say something. It's enough to be active and involved. And so we always want to be active and involved. I think what we have in our culture is reactivism, where we have hashtags and tweets, but we don't have people really involved with the issues. And so we want to be involved in issues in our city and in our country, and not just make statements. Uh, the second thing that I think it's important for us to note is that as a church, uh, we've always celebrated diversity. We've always said that we want to be a diverse church. We want to be ethnically diverse, we want to be economically diverse. Uh, we want all types of people here. The reality is, uh, I just heard this the other day, that 80% of New York City claims some kind of pattern of faith. 80%. 80% of the people that we're around believe in something. And yet, from what we can tell, only 5% of the city actually believes in what we call biblical Christianity. 
That means 75% of the people in this city think differently than we do. So it's interesting to say, on one hand, we want a diverse church, but on the other hand, we've got this city that doesn't believe the things we believe. They both can't be the same. What we will have to realize and recognize is that our church will have a community of people that will have differences. They will have different opinions, and they will have different theological stances that they have. And we've got to be able to not just adjust, we've got to realize that that's the kind of church that we're going to have. We're going to be theologically diverse. We're going to have atheists. We're going to have people who love being in our community, but may not believe what we believe. Diversity means we love each other even when we disagree on some things. And I was telling the group this past week, I probably disagree with about 70% of the choices my kids make. But I love them. And I care for them. So in order to have diversity, we have to understand that love does not mean unconditional agreement. What love means is that I'm patient with you, I'm committed to you, I love you, I care with you, I walk with you, I'm with you. That's what the ministry of Jesus, much of it was. That's why they called him Emmanuel, God with us. And he was with people that you would think he would never be around. Then he was called a friend of what? Of sinners. And so he was always around people that you would think he would never be around because he was placing himself in a position to be around people unlike him. We will have people that are different in this community. At the same time, lastly, I think what we have to recognize is that we are a people of revelation and not investigation. While the culture is slowly and surely trying to figure out ethnic issues, who are we and how do we deal with flags and things of that nature, while the culture is trying to figure out gender issues, we are not necessarily trying to figure that out. Because we're not investigating that. That's been revealed to us. We're a people that have been described already in the Word of God. And so, so because we are a people of revelation and not investigation, we will look to the Word of God to define how we do what we do. But also, because we are a people of revelation and not investigation, when the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16... When it says, we, from, from now on, we know we don't see anybody from a worldly point of view, or that could be defined as, we don't see anybody from the flesh. What it means is that we don't define people just by the way they look. We don't define people economically. We don't define you ethnically. We don't define you just by gender, and we don't define you just by your attraction. What matters is not how you self-identify yourself. What matters is how God identifies you. And if you are a person at this church, and you want to grow in a relationship with God, we are committed to helping you grow in your relationship with the Lord. And, and, you, and we will have to wrestle with this tension of being a community that has differences. And I'm committed to that. And that's the kind of community we will always be. Um, I think one of the things that when I was uh, when I when I travel and I speak at different places, 
they always ask me stuff about what's going on in New York. And people just want you to make these hard statements. No, come on. We'll just say a statement. Why? To please you? To scare people? To impress people? Much of the statements we've already made have been in private counsel. Much of the statements we've made have been as we've walked through the Word of God. The issues of same-sex attraction, gender identification, run deep. And they're not simple as a statement. A statement changes things. I can just get up here and preach and we all change. But you're not even changing by statements. You make statements every day. Amen. But you still do it. So it's not about just making a statement. It's about walking together. And some of you are doing things. This is probably going to my sermon. Some of you are doing things you wish you would not do, and you still do it. I'm supposed to kick you out? Some of you are wondering how I was born this way. And it's not, and it's not gender identification issues or same-sex attraction issues. It's other things. So just know, we're, we're fighting for the Bible, and we're fighting to be in the community who, who people may disagree with us about biblical things. And we're going to hold those two tensions as long as I'm a pastor. All right, so there that is. Uh, if you have any questions, you can come up after. James at BridgeChurchNYC.com. You can email me. You can get some coffee about it. It's, uh, so I want to jump into this series um, as, we, as we talk about having a war with inside of you. Uh, in this series... Uh, we are going to really deal with the issue of fighting and winning the war that rages in many of us. Let me first say that it's difficult to solve a problem when you don't understand what the problem is to begin with. Yep. Right? All right. The other day, um, Natasha and I, I brought my car to the mechanic. And um, we could tell there was something wrong, but we didn't know what it was. So we, we drove our car down to Flatbush and found us a good mechanic. And when we brought our car in, I remember we, I, I walk and I'm in the line and the guy looks at me and he, he begins to ask me all these questions. And there was a line behind me and so they were kind of quick and, you know, they wanted me to go quick. And so the guy asked me a basic automobile question 101. Is your car front wheel drive or uh, all wheel drive? I should know that, man. I should know that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if my car is front wheel drive or all wheel drive. And so because I felt silly, because I feel like at 38 I should know that, I just said all wheel drive. Because it might have been like all the wheels. He brings me underneath the car. And he just starts explaining stuff. And you know, I have this tension because I want to look confident, but I also want to look inquisitive like I know what's going on. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about? And I don't want him to get over on me, so I'm just, you know, the rotor in the tube. So here, and I'm like, mm, yeah, mm. I know. When I look inside of a car, I don't know what's going on, but I know there's a problem. I can hear, but 
but I can't identify it. And for some of you, you've looked inside of you, and you hear yourself, and you know you've got a problem, but you haven't been able to identify it. You have had a hard time fixing you. You've looked on the inside and you've tried to figure it out. And you've got a theory. And some of you have got some theories. And you've spent good money, some of you, trying to sit down and figure out what's wrong with you. Because something's wrong with you. <laughs> Others tried to solve you. Some of you paid, as I said, good money. Some of you have this theory. Some of you have come to the conclusion, I am the way I am because my parents were the way they were. My dad, my dad, he just wasn't there. That's why I am the way I am. My mom, she was way too much there. That's why I am the way I am. You may think you have like a physiological or a psychological problem. It's like I was born with this thing I got. That's why I am the way I am. Or some of you may presume, uh, if you have like a spiritual, strong spiritual background, you may really believe in forces that impose themselves upon you. You may believe that demons work against you and you do things that you don't want to do. You may have a number of things that pull at you. But at the end of the day, as I span across this room, I don't need to counsel any of you to know that you have a problem. And you know that. Now, um, we are going to look at a gentleman named the Apostle Paul. He wrote a book called the Book of Romans. And in the Book of Romans, he's going to identify our problem. And he's also going to give us a solution. Alright, so this is going to be a four-week series as we look through Romans chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8. But in order to create the cornerstone of this series... The crux of this series is going to come from Romans chapter 7. If you have your Bible, open to the book of Romans and open to chapter 7. We're going to look briefly at this verse, and then we're going to look at a few other verses. Romans chapter 7. This is the wild part about this verse. You don't have to be a Christian to say, this is me. <laughs> you, don't, you, don't, you don't have to be spiritual. This is what Paul says, Romans chapter 7, verse 15 through 18. He says, I don't understand what I do. I don't get it. I want to do, I want to do, I do not do, but, I'm sorry, for what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I don't want to do, I agree that the law is good, verse 18. Where I have the desire, ooh, I want to do the right thing, but I can't carry it out. Verse 19, for I do not, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. I remember the first time I did a Bible study on that in college, it was our best Bible study. <laughs> we had the most crowd participation. Because everyone was like, oh, I relate. This, before we get, when he says about a law, certainly we could be talking about the Old Testament, but this could be any law. This could be any standard. You could say that you don't keep in step with the Bible, 
But if you're not a Christian, you can say you don't even keep in step with the, the stuff your mom told you. You don't keep in step with the things that you feel are right. There are people who say, I'm just spiritual. I don't follow any book. Well, what do you follow? I just follow me. Well, you don't even follow you. Whatever standard you want to put here, you want the Bible, you want to put, what, what we say, uh, we can put the sutra, we, whatever, book, whatever book you want to do, whatever book you want to do, you don't follow. Whatever law, whatever guide, whatever standard of truth you believe is the crux of this life and that we should follow, you don't follow. And some would say, well, sometimes I do. But I'm not talking about just sometimes. I'm talking about there is a deep, intense problem in you. Why don't you just stop losing your temper? Why do you keep getting angry the way you do? You know it's causing problems. It's caused problems in your family. Why, why do you keep doing it? Why don't, why don't you just forgive the person that is hurting you, you know, the, the person that you want to move on from that issue? Why don't you just forgive and just, you know, just, just love them and, and move on? Keep the relationship good. Why just forgive and forget it? Why don't you just stop looking at that stuff on the internet? You know it's bad for you, it's bad for your marriage, it's bad for your friends. You already know it's wrong. Just stop. All of this can be ended if we could just preach sermons that I could tell you just to stop doing things. That would be an incredible message. That I just tell you all your problems and I'd say stop. And then you can actually do that. But that's not at all the case. The fact of the matter, it's like there is a war inside of you. It's like you're double-minded. And there's two of you wrestling on the inside to do the right thing. And you're fighting. And many of us aren't winning. And so, in this, in this text, in, in Romans, we are going to look at this battle that he lays out. Now, understand that... Um, in the book of Romans, uh, it is a book that has been written to Jews who became Christians in Rome. Um, and he, he is speaking primarily to that group. But the book itself, if you were to read it on your own, one of the things you would notice is that at times the writer Paul will go into different tangents, one place to another. And part of the reason why that is, is because when he wrote it, he was in chains. He was jailed. And so because he was jailed, he was actually dictating it and someone else was transcribing it. And so at the time, they didn't really have someone to be able to delete or to white out or to backspace. You just went from one thought to another. So that's why the book moves in the way that it does. So we are going to check out a few of these verses to understand why we do what we do. If you would look in Romans 5, Romans chapter 5, Verse 6. Today the heartbeat of what we're going to try to do is answer the why. Why is there that issue of inconsistency that you've been wrestling with? Why is that there? Romans chapter 5, verse 6. He says, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. 
Now, notice there, the word ungodly. He is talking about all of humanity. So, when we use the term ungodly, when we first read that, we think of someone doing something that is outside of the boundaries of regular sin. It's like, well, that was ungodly. If I were to call you ungodly, you would just feel really uncomfortable. But when he uses the term ungodly, it is really like the term imperfect. And you would agree that you are imperfect, would you not? So if you agree that you are imperfect, would you agree that God is perfect? You see, every major religion says that God is a perfect God. So if God is perfect and you are imperfect, you're not like God. And you're ungodly. So let's move on. <laughs> Christ dies for the ungodly, which is all of us. And so we being ungodly, look at what he says in the middle there, we were powerless. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We were powerless. We were not able to do the things we want to do. We lacked the power to do it. But listen, while we were powerless, Christ dies for us. So he shows us this picture of Christ coming into this world where we can't be like him and, we, and we're imperfect, yet he dies for imperfect people. And if Christ is the Son of God, then we would believe that he is the perfect Son of God, dying for imperfect people. Now, here's the bigger question we have to ask. Why are we ungodly? Why do we keep doing things like this? Why don't we just stop? Well, look in the 12th verse of Romans chapter 5. It's going to answer this question. It's going to be better than any self-help book you could ever read. Verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to, what's that say? All people. Death came to all people because all sin. So understand the image. The book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. It's an understanding of how the world was made and how people came into existence. And if the book of Genesis has any clarity for you, it helps us understand the beginning scene of perfection. When Adam and Eve were together, able to abide with God in the garden. And God gave Adam a standard. He told him not to do something. And Adam agreed that not doing it was the right thing to do. But in a moment of weakness, even though Adam said, I agree with that thing that I should do, Adam didn't do it. And Adam became the first man to not follow through with the standard he believed in. This, in essence, then defines sin for us. It was the beginning of not keeping a standard that not only God said, but Adam also agreed with. Adam, in turn, becomes the first sinner. The first person to bring about sin. One of the things that we have to understand, then, when Adam allows sin to enter into the world, inconsistency to enter into the world. Understand, when he's talking about it came to all people, you have to understand, understand sin not just by actions, 
But you have to understand it as kind of a core being and a power. A power that works deeply within us in our very nature. Um, you know, back in 1992, when I started working with uh, HIV and AIDS patients, and it was the first time that I encountered a child, a child who had HIV. And that baby was beautiful. But without doing anything right or wrong, that child was infected with a virus because of their parents. It spread to the child. And so if we look at sin not just like a thing we do, but a very core being that has been passed down to us, this is the imagery of it spreading to all men. And Adam is kind of the host, and it spreads through him. And many people would say, well, I didn't do anything, though. I mean, that's not fair. I mean, this is not a disease. I mean, this is based upon actions. Why should I get penalized for an action that I didn't commit, but I get the penalty? Well, we see it in football games. You know, when I played football, I played on the defense. And on offense, someone would be on the field. And if an offensive lineman jumped, you know, and hit somebody at the wrong time, they would throw a flag on the play. And the whole team would get penalized. And so even though I was on the sideline drinking water, doing nothing wrong to anybody, my teammate was on the field doing something wrong, and so the entire football team got penalized. So even though there was an individual act, there was a corporate penalty. In the same way, that is how sin has been dealt with. It was an individual act of Adam, but there is a corporate penalty. If the president decides to go to war, America is at war, whether you like it or not. If you are an American, you know are at war. There's a corporate element to it. And sin has this corporate element. And the theologians would use this imagery of imputed sin, a sin that I got without earning or deserving it. I just got it. Now, do you agree with me? That's the big question. Because you may not agree with this diagnosis. You may say, that's not true, that's not fair. I read, I read that in some psychology class one time. Is that original sin? Yeah, 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 yeah. I heard that one time. But, it's crazy. That stuff doesn't make sense. Well, I can tell you what I think. This is what I think. Right? Now, the image that they're giving there is the idea that Adam is the first sinner, and then all in him, so you have to understand that phrase, in Adam, that we are all in Adam. So this is what I believe. Have y'all seen my wife? Doesn't she look good? She got her hair all blocked and all that. Hair like Eve. Remember Eve? She like Eve. She looks so good. Let's say this is my wife. My wife's so fine, eh, <laughs> Myself. <laughs> she's a sinner. <laughs> she's an I have two beautiful kids. You see my kids? Have you seen my kids? You've seen my kids. Beautiful kids. They, they are so cute. Just uh, we got this thing on Facebook with a name. They do it. Hey, hey, she's a sinner. <laughs> my daughter Leah. She, she's a sinner. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Martin Luther King said. The president, some of you are like, we already know that. <laughs> <laughs> the next president said, listen to this we're saying. All of humanity, all of it, everybody. Everybody's an eye. Everybody. Everybody's born into Adam. We are born in sin. Let me, let me just do an experiment. Do an experiment. You learn this in parenting. Do an experiment. I want you, the next time you're out, I want you to find the cutest two-year-old child you can find. I mean, they need to be cute. Now, don't, don't, don't play. You're you a really nice, cute-looking kid, and you see them running around, and they, they're passing out flowers and blowing kisses. You know, that cute, cute? Go to one of those kids. And then I want you to want, what I want you to do so I want you to walk up to the parent and I want you to go, that kid's unbelievable. They're so, they're so innocent. You are going to get the biggest gut-busting laugh from that parent. They're going to die laughing. Because they're going to be like, oh, they look cute now. But I know the real story. No, try it. Why do we call it the terrible twos? Why? Why? Is it that we've just come to the conclusion that people are like this? Why do we say things like, I'm only human, flesh and blood, born to make mistakes? There's actually a song. Anyway, there's a song from the 80s. But listen, they're, they're, why do we say things like that? Why have we gotten used to that? Why is it just, you know, I'm just human. But why is that okay? Why is that okay? Maybe we have not wrestled and, and come to the conclusion, become comfortable with the fact that all people have, they are born with a capacity and a bent towards sin. And we see it very early. I never, never, never had to teach my kids selfishness. I fight to teach them how to share. I never teach them selfishness. That is within them. And because of our sin, we are condemned because of our sin. We have to bear the penalty of that, of our own sin. Here's what I want to drill home today. We're going to look at Romans 6 next week, but I want to drill home for the rest of this message. Our problem and your problem goes deeper than habits and behaviors. Your problem is not just a bad habit. As long as, you're, as long as you're trying to solve you by addressing habits and behaviors, you're never going to get at the real problem. It would be as if someone was trying to chop down a tree by always snipping at branches. You will never get at the core, root problem. Your habits and undesirable behaviors are merely expressions of the sin that is dwelling in you. And as long as I deal with me from the standpoint of being a good person who does bad things, I'll never deal with the root problem of sin. Even if, 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 if it's just, like even good people you say are good, once you really get to know them, you find something in them that is inconsistent. 
And we've just come to the conclusion that that's okay. But we don't ask why. Here's why. Your problem isn't just sinning. Your problem is you're a sinner. And you were born a sinner. And I was born a sinner. And our humanity is born into sin. Now, if you would agree with the problem, you're going to love the solution. You've got to agree with that being the problem. And you may not. And that's okay. But this is, this is, this is Paul looking under your hood saying, this is what I see your issue is. Jump down to verse 15 as we conclude. Verse 15, he says, but, contrast, difference, going to turn the corner here, but the gift is not like the trespass. Oh, it's good news. That right there is good news. All right, I'm going to read the rest of this. I'm trying to restrain my inner preacher. Four, I haven't read this in five weeks. Four, if the many died by the trespass of the one. Here, here's what, I'm going to put the scenario. If many died by the trespass of one, how much more did God's grace and the gift come by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? Verse 16, nor can the gift of God be compared. Can we compare it with the results of one man's sin? Compare those two. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. And later he will talk about how the, the gift of Christ didn't come until after many years of sinners doing things and we had to create sacrifices and atonements and all these different things in order to deal with sin. Verse 17. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned throughout through, through that one man, death reigned, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Uh, such good news. But you want to see, I want you to see a couple of things there. One, when he used this terminology of the trespass, the trespass, he's talking about the one moment that we just talked about in Genesis. He's talking about when Adam sinned and death and sin spread to all men. Now, when the Bible talks about death, it is talking about a separation. But here's this. One of the things that the Bible gets at is that the very fact that we die is an expression of penalty for sin. So it gets at that. But the other image that he gives there is that you have trespass, but you also have a gift. And in verse 17, he tells us what this gift is. It is the gift of righteousness. A gift of righteousness. If you were to, uh, I'm going to come back to this, but if you were to jump down to verse 19, just jump to verse 19. Uh, verse 19 of Romans 5. Yes. Alright, so for just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. We disagreed. Many were made sinners. You were made a sinner. You didn't do it. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. Oh, I shouldn't be a sinner. I didn't do anything right. It was imputed to you. But then he goes on to say, so also through the obedience of the one man, many will be made righteous imputed righteousness. You didn't do anything to earn it or deserve it. It was imputed to you. There was a righteousness given to you and it was the righteousness, not just a high righteousness, a temporal righteousness, somebody that's really good on earth. It was the righteousness of Christ. 
It was of God man's righteousness. And what happens on the cross is that you give Christ your sin and he dies for your sin, but he gives you his righteousness. And this is why you will be able to see the Lord one day and have the confidence of knowing that you will be with God, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done, not because of your righteousness, but because of the righteousness of Christ. And so when you see the Lord, don't start talking about your resume. You talk about the cross. You talk about his righteousness. And it's through him that you will see the Lord one day. And you will have his confidence. And so you are made sinners. That's so sad. But you're made righteous. That's so good. This is why we call it good news. Amen, y'all. It is imputed righteousness, just that there was imputed sinfulness. And so, jump back to verse, verses 15, Romans 5, 15. Yes. So he says, the trespass of one. Yes, it does many things. But look at what the gift can do. So if the single action of, of a man, a human, can cause generational chaos, think of what the single action of what the God-man can do. If Adam could mess it up, think of what God can do. Think of how God can fix it up. If man can destroy all those things, what can God do? And so he talks about the redemptive work of Christ. And so the, the imagery that we are going to continue to work with, and he's, he's balancing here, is he's comparing Adam to Christ. And I want you to look at this last part in verse 17. Verse 17. Look, he says, God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. So, you see, when I was talking there and I got excited and I'm like, yeah, we're going to go to heaven. Everybody's like, yeah, heaven, heaven, y'all, that's where I want to go. Heaven is great. Christ is great for heaven. I want to go to heaven. I want to see the Lord. That's what I want. Many of you, that's like your big thing. That's why you're a Christian, because you want to go to heaven. But he doesn't just say reign in heaven. He says reign in life. It's talking about victory in life. The word reign there means that you can reign in life. That you can have victory in life. And that this imputed righteousness that you were given is now an identity that you operate from and a power source. Because you now, you now are someone that not only should identify yourself with Christ, but know that through the Holy Spirit, Christ is with you. And so now... When you believe, you go out of this bucket. You were in Adam, but now you are in Christ. Because notice what he says. He says you will reign in life through the one man. It is through Christ that you will be able to fight those things that you did in your old identity. Many of us continue in old habits because we're operating from an old identity and we don't know that we are now in Christ and we can operate from that identity and from that power source. We're going to talk about that power source later. That's the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that later. But I just want you to see money of your problems is you don't see yourself rightly. That's what I talked about. You don't self-identify rightly. Your primary identity is being one who is united with Christ and who is dependent on your Father. That is your identity. Any other identity is a, is a substandard. And many of the reasons why we get alone and when no one's around and we fall into those things is because you're forgetting who you are. That's why fellowship is so important, to remind you who you are. That's why it's so important for us to be in community. 
Because it's so easy to fall into habits around people who are operating like this. And so you walk like this, but you're really in here. Because you've forgotten who you are. Every time someone believes in Christ for their righteousness, they not only go into a life of being in Christ, Christ is in them. And he has given you power. Power to fight in this life. Power to reign in life. You already have in you the power to be victorious. My, um, my, uh, my cousin used to be in this show called The Wiz. It is the black version of The Wizard of Oz. First <laughs> in fact, um, we had one of our church members here. They were in The Wiz. Anyway, we all know the story of Wizard of Oz, right? It's got people looking for courage and people looking for heart and all this stuff. Then they get to the end and they're like, oh, we already had it. Oh, I already had it. The lion's like, oh, I'm a lion. Why am I scared? I'm a lion. Oh, snap. I'm a lion. And his whole transformation didn't come from getting something new. It came from knowing who he was. And so, in the same way, you want to have victory over temptation and power. It is not tapping a new power. It's not going to some new conference. Go to a new conference. Get a book. That's great. That's great. Join a new church. You know how to join a new church. Hope it works out. But I'll tell you right now, you already have the power to be victorious. It is knowing that you have been moved from one position to another. You have been given a power. And you must walk in your new identity. And you must walk in community. That's why community, again, that's why community is so important. We spur each other on towards love and good deeds. And I just want you to know, victory is yours. Victory is yours. We should sing that song, Victory is Mine. Victory truly is yours. You don't have to be the way you are. You don't have to do what you do. You have the power to fight. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word and we just pray, Heavenly Father, that we would uh, we would be able to just walk in our identity, God. Pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us the power and the strength, the wisdom to continue in, in this word, Lord. I pray that we would, uh, during this series, God, I pray that we would, uh, we would just grow and I pray, Heavenly Father, that the book of Romans would come alive to us as we see, as we see what you would call us to be. More importantly, help us to walk in the identity, the identity of Christ. Help us to walk in the power, in the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit. We ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.